section nineteen of seven roman statesmen of the later republic by charles ullman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seven cato part three it may have been some consolation to cato to find that he had at least succeeded in provoking his enemies to the point of expelling him from rome in b c fifty eight they let loose upon him the famous demagogue clodius then in the first energy of his tribunicial year the annexation of cyprus a very unjust and disreputable piece of work had just been determined upon clodius announced that as there were tempting opportunities for plunder in king ptolemy's treasury the most honest man in rome had better be sent to conduct the business cato replied that he had no intention of touching such an iniquitous affair and should not accept any such post it is not your pleasure to go answered the tribune but it is my pleasure that you should be sent thereupon he procured a decree which appointed cato to take charge of cyprus and its annexation and also to reconcile two factions at byzantium which were engaged in civil war he was to be kept out of rome as long as the triumvirs and their agent thought necessary to show that he was in disgrace he was given neither a single soldier a ship nor a supply of money and he had assigned to help him only two secretaries one of whom was a notorious thief and the other a client of clodius which came to much the same thing when practical work had to be done cato was always at his best and this unsought-for mission which took him away from rome during the time of cicero's banishment and of many other troubles enabled him to do the state good service he reconciled the byzantines with no difficulty this cypriot matter turned out heart-rending to an honest man but not otherwise difficult the unfortunate king committed suicide when he heard that he was to be evicted though cato tried to smooth matters for him by promising him a competent maintenance and the important post of high priest of the paphian temple the chief sanctuary of the island ptolemy being removed there was no hindrance to taking possession of his whole treasure which amounted to the great sum of seven thousand talents the removal of such a mass of bullion to rome was no light matter fearing shipwreck as we are told cato took the curious precaution of sealing up precisely two talents and five hundred drachmae in each of several thousand vases to the lid of each vase he fastened an immensely long cord with a large cork buoy at the end his idea being that if the ships miscarried the buoys would float on the surface of the sea and guide salvage work what was to be done if the misadventure took place in really deep water plutarch does not tell us cato came back to rome late in the summer of b c fifty six in time to be involved in all the troubles which were caused by the renewal of the triumvirate at lucca and the determination of its members that pompey and crassus should be made consuls for fifty five at first cato had some personal troubles of his own to distract him his old enemy clodius was still reigning over the streets of rome in all his glory and thought that it would be a humorous and appropriate thing to indict cato for embezzlement of some of that very cypriot treasure over which the latter had taken so much trouble 
the charge was too gross and cato easily got off after making his famous bon mot that what greater disgrace can the age see than clodius as the accuser and cato as the accused in a trial for embezzlement yet curiously enough cato was found at the same time opposing a motion in the senate to declare the acts of clodius's tribunate illegal it had occurred to cicero some time after his return from banishment that the best way to get rid of the slur on himself caused by the decree that the demagogue had passed against him would be to procure a declaration that the latter had never been legally elected tribune to stand for the office clodius had been forced to get himself adopted as a plebeian and his adoption had been carried out with the most flagrant disregard of legal formalities cato opposed this raking up of events now three years old by pointing out that many accomplished facts depended for their legality on clodius having been duly elected among others his own commission to cyprus if clodius was no tribune then he had been no commissioner and all his doings in cyprus and byzantium were vitiated this settled the matter and cicero's ingenious device was rejected a result which made him as bitterly angry with cato as he had been once before over the breaking up of the concordia ordinum and as he was to be once again over the matter of his triumph for his military exploits in cilicia it is to the same year b c fifty six that belongs the most extraordinary and to our eyes most objectionable of the incidents of cato's private life plutarch wrongly gives it as happening in sixty three which the ages of the persons concerned makes impossible he had married as his second wife marcia daughter of the consular marcius philippus she was still a young woman had borne him three children and was a person of excellent character hortensius a particular friend of cato came to him with the request which he allowed was an unusual one but which he trusted would not offend cato that he would kindly divorce his wife and allow himself hortensius to marry her for although cato was quite satisfied with her he thought that he himself was more interested in the lady observing the vehemence of hortensius says plutarch cato did not absolutely refuse him but said that it was necessary to consult his wife and her father philippus finding them not unwilling he said that his private inclination should not stand in the way accordingly he divorced marcia and she was married to hortensius in his presence and with his consent surely the most extraordinary instance of altruism known for that cato was consulting in philosophic guise the greatest happiness of the greatest number is shown by the fact that when hortensius died six years later he at once remarried marcia and lived with her again till death parted them it was a strange example of roman views and roman morals in the aspect which appears most unlovely to us cato's next field day was during the consular elections of b c fifty five the optimates had been thoroughly cowed by the news of the conference at lucca and the assurance that caesar pompey and crassus were firm friends again accordingly when crassus and pompey announced their intention of standing together for the consulship no one had the courage to enter the field against them cato was much enraged at this and went about trying to get one man after another to stand as an optimate competitor at last 
he prevailed on Lucius Domitius, who had married his sister, to put himself in the way of honour and danger. Seeing Domitius canvassing assiduously, the friends of the triumvirs determined to use violence, and on the day of the election prepared gangs of Clodius's ruffians to block the polling places at daybreak. But Cato and Domitius were down to the campus Martius with torches at midnight to secure a good place. At dawn arrived the first gangs of the triumvirs Myrmidons, who killed Domitius' torchbearer and chased away his and Cato's clients. The unwilling candidate would have fled, but Cato, though badly wounded by a dagger thrust in the arm, still kept Domitius on the spot, abjuring him not to desert the cause of the Republic as long as he had life in him. But his brother-in-law's firmness broke down. Unable to stand the stress, he finally retired, and Pompey and Crassus were elected. Cato then proclaimed that if other men fled he would not, and announced himself as a candidate for the praetorship, intending thus to secure himself thereby the sacrosanct position of a magistrate, and, as Plutarch quotes him, a kind of fort from which he should be able to make sorties against the consuls. He failed, naturally, as he scorned to use either bribery or intimidation, both of which were lavishly employed against him. It was therefore only as a private citizen that he was able to speak against the Trebonian law, which gave Pompey Spain and an army, and Crassus Syria and an army. When the bill was brought forward, Cato got permission from a friendly tribune to speak, but when he had already talked for two hours with many repetitions and many predictions of evil, Trebonius got angry and bade his apparitors take him down from the rostrum. Yet standing below among the people, he continued his speech, which so enraged Trebonius that he had him driven out of the forum. But in a few minutes Cato was back and climbing up the rostra again, whereupon Trebonius, thoroughly roused, had him haled to prison. He had wasted the day, but on the succeeding one the triumvir's men blockaded the tribune Aquilius, who was going to veto the law, in the senate house by force of arms, cleared the partisans of the optimates out of the forum, and badly mauled Cato, who gravely kept asserting that he heard thunder on the left, and that the comitia ought therefore to be broken up. It was in the next year that Cato made his celebrated declaration that he intended to prosecute Caesar the moment that his proconsulate had run out, and he had become once more a private person. The cause was his treacherous dealing with the usipetes and the tencteri. After concluding a peace with them, and seeing them start homewards to cross the Rhine, he had fallen upon them, alleging a breach of the convention on their part, and had slain more than 430,000 men, women, and children, according to his own version. B.C. 55. Even as told in De Bello Gallico, the story has a very sinister look. There seems no doubt that Caesar went very near the edge of treachery if he did not cross it. Cato was so indignant at the transaction that he gave notice that he would move that Caesar should be put in chains at the expiration of his command and surrendered to the surviving Usipetes as Mancinus had been surrendered to the Numantines, or Poplilius to the Samnites after the Caudine Forks. Caesar used this threat of Cato's to great effect as a reason why he must continue to hold perpetual office. 
to avoid such a danger he wished to be allowed to sue for the consulship of b c forty eight in his absence before his existing commission in gaul should run out of course he was insincere in pretending that he would be in personal danger if he returned to rome there was not much chance that he would be condemned either by the assembly or by a special commission the former he commanded the latter he would have bribed cato was alone and it would have required a whole senate like himself to have made such an attack upon rome's greatest general in the following year when crassus had gone off to syria and pompey was beginning to show some signs of slackening in his friendship for caesar cato stood for the praetorship again and we learn to our surprise that he was successful the lustre of an exemplary tenure of office was somewhat dimmed in the eyes of the public we are told by the fact that cato showed his imitation of his great-grandfather rather too grotesquely by often going to sit on the praetorial bench without his robe or his shoes when he had to pass sentence on persons of high importance we know little of his doings except that as a testimony to his integrity at the next praetorial elections all the candidates agreed to avoid bribery and to deposit five hundred sertertia each with cato he undertaking to declare forfeit the deposit of any one of them whom he should consider to have acted unfairly in the canvass one man was detected while distributing bribes cato therefore declared his deposit forfeited and offered a share of it to each of the other candidates but fellow-feeling or the consciousness that their own private doings would not bear inspection seems to have swayed them all for each sent back what he had received to the convicted man this curious transaction only took place after a very stormy scene in the comitia the mob disliked any attempt to put down corruption and when they understood cato's line of action pelted him with stones so that all who were about him fled and he was left alone on the rostra yet standing there unmoved with a firm and steady aspect he finally hushed the clamour of the mob and demonstrated the righteousness of his proceedings fifty four b c another curious incident from the year in which cato enjoyed the praetorship has been preserved he came down to support his friend favonius who was standing for the idolship of the next year when the votes were counted it seemed that favonius had been beaten but cato got permission to examine the tablets and found so many obviously written by the same hand and foisted into boxes by fraud that he got the election quashed by the tribunes at a second ballot his friend was returned as a mark of his esteem he entrusted the management of the theatrical shows which he exhibited to the people to cato a strange choice considering his views and habits cato did not decline the task but managed the details of the entertainment according to his own ideas of the becoming he gave the actors crowns of wild olive instead of gold one trusts that he remembered the difference when settling their salaries and instead of showy and expensive presents distributed small and useful donatives we are told that he included bundles of leeks radishes lettuce and parsley little bottles of wine joints of pork cucumbers and faggots of wood the theatre after the distribution must have looked like the shop of a general dealer but we are told that the people were highly amused and deserted a great show which curio was giving on the same day in order to see cato acting as master of the ceremonies in the next year when pompey was obviously becoming estranged from caesar 
and inclining toward the optimates cato ventured to stand for the consulship but his rivals sulpicius and marcellus bribed heavily while he offered nothing and did not even go out of his way to canvass he expected to be beaten and was not disappointed on the day of the poll he was playing ball when the return was made the messenger with the unfavourable news reached him in the middle of a game which he quietly finished and then took a walk round the forum without shoes or toga to show his equanimity b c fifty two end of section nineteen